Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. We close out a series today. We've been looking at the story of Jacob in the Old Testament. Jacob's story is only in the first book of the, of, of the Old Testament, Genesis. And Genesis dedicates quite a bit of time to Jacob, but actually it, can, it dedicates more time to his son Joseph. And we're going to be looking at Joseph probably around September of this year. <clears throat> as, we, <clears throat> excuse me, as we look at the aspect of love that keeps no record of wrongs. But now we look at Jacob, and love, in Jacob's case, doesn't demand its own way. Jacob lived his life demanding his own way, doing his own thing, and he comes to this place toward the end of his life where he realizes everything I've done up to this point has been because I've demanded my own way. I fought to get where I am. And some of you may even be, relate to Jacob's story is that you have fought your tail off to get where you are. And, and it feels thankless at times. It feels frustrating at times. And so we come to this place in Genesis chapter 32 today where Jacob is tired of fighting against God and God's purposes. And God has blessed him regardless. But he's tired of fighting against God. Instead, he comes to this place where he begins to wrestle with God. There's a difference between fighting against God and wrestling with God. And some of you are fighting tooth and nail against God, not wanting to surrender to his purposes for you. When you should be wrestling with God, to get blessings, to, 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 to be given something more than you yourself can get by demanding your own way. This, this picture of wrestling, I tried to come up with an illustration that would best fit uh, how to kick off this, this final message in, in Jacob's story. And, and, and the only thing I could equate it to is being a parent. Uh, having four kids myself, there have been times when I've wrestled with my kids. Have you ever wrestled with your kids or kids? Maybe you've wrestled with your brother or sister. Uh, we've all probably done our fair share of, of physical wrestling. How, how does this wrestling match with your kids usually go? If you're a parent, you probably know this. It may go something like this. There may be a pillow to the face and then another, and then maybe another. The stage is set for the battle of the centuries. And uh, for the battle of the century, uh, it's, it's us versus our child. Who's going to win? Round one, after child instigate, the parent enters the ring. There's a return blow with a couch pillow to the head. The kid goes down, but quickly bounces back up, only to be hit again with another blow from another pillow to the other side of the face. One down, 
Once down a second time, the parent leaps to action to subdue the child. The parent begins to relentlessly tickle the child until they can't breathe. This is how we wrestle in my family. We tickle until it hurts. Only to stop so the kid, the kid can go <gasps> to begin to tickle again. The child begins to beg repeatedly for mercy. The parent relents and begins to walk away thinking, ha ha, I've bested them. <laughs> Round two. Child, seeing the parent walks away, leaps to action, jumps on the back with arms around the neck. Parent caught off guard, feels this tinge of pain in the back and shoulders because we're getting older. <laughs> From this unexpected attack. Due to the lack of oxygen from the weight of the child around the neck, we almost pass out, a uh, parent acts fast to wrestle the child to the ground again. The tickling ensues until the kid can't breathe again, until we subdue the kid. This time, however, the parent allows the child to break free on purpose. The child begins to win. Pillows, pool noodles, Nerf swords, Nerf guns, everything's pulled out of the arsenal. And the parents attacked relentlessly by the child, except this time the parent begins to feign defeat. Oh, you've got me. Overdramatic movements signal to the child that they're winning. The kid doesn't realize this, that the parent is just giving up. The parent cries for mercy. Oh, stop. I beg of you, stop. And the child wins. Now, Reality is we know that we can beat our kids up to a point my, uh, when your kids get older. <laughs> uh, and some of you remember when your parents got older, they, they couldn't best you anymore. Right? They, you, you, could, you, could, uh, you could probably beat them hands down. But, but when they're younger and weaker, everybody knows the parent can end up subduing a child. But to make it fun, to help the child to learn through the wrestling process, we allow them to win from time to time, don't we? At this place called Penuel, Jacob wrestled with God. He was the grandson of Abraham. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, it's that lineage. Abraham was his grandfather. And, and Jacob learned very quickly through his own family lineage how to trick to get things his own way. Abraham said that his wife Sarah was his sister on two different occasions to keep from getting his butt kicked. Isaac did the same thing to Rebecca. Jacob, having grown up with this family dysfunction, begins to perpetuate family dysfunction to demand to get his own way. He's tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright through a bowl of soup, and then he tricks Isaac out of blessing Esau as the firstborn by dressing up as Esau, wearing skins of animals, it's smelling like his brother Esau because Isaac more than likely has these thick cataracts over his eyes and can't see in his old age. And so he has no clue who this is in front of him. And so after convincing him that he's Esau, Jacob steals the blessing from Isaac that was reserved for Esau. Esau at the end of that demands that he's, or, or, or resolves that he's going to kill Jacob when he gets his hands on him. 
But Rebecca already hears what's going on, and she tells Jacob, no, 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 you go on to my uncle Laban's house way out east. He'll take care of you, give your brother a chance to cool off, and then come back home. Well, Jacob takes his mother's advice. He goes to Laban's. He finds this woman. He just falls deeply head over heels in love with. Her name's Rachel. Rachel, come to find out, is Laban's daughter, second daughter. The firstborn daughter is Leah. Through a series of events, Laban tricks Jacob into marrying Leah first whenever he thought he was marrying Rachel. And you think, wait a minute, how could he trick? Well, because it's dark of night. The marriage ceremony was much different in that day and age than it is today where you walk down an aisle and pull the veil off, blah, blah, blah. In that day and age, the marriage actually happened through sex. Yes, there was a ceremony, pomp and circumstance, celebrations would go on for weeks but the actual act of marriage was sex. And so you didn't have sex before marriage. That's considered fornication, adultery, those kind of things, sexual sin. In that day and age, and even this day and age, it still stands that those are the cases. Marriage happened this way. A tent was made ready, the wedding tent or the wedding um, house or room. And shades were pulled. Nobody's supposed to peek in on that. And so Rachel gets swapped. Leah comes in. In the darkness of the room, the act of marriage happens between Jacob and Leah. He wakes up next morning, realizes, oh no, uh, I've slept with the wrong woman. And he gets ticked off at Laban. How could you do this to me? And Laban says, oh, it's not our custom to marry off the older before, or the younger before the older. So you know, you can have Rachel too. Think of your dad, by the way, ladies. You can have Rachel too if you uh, work for me another seven years. In all, in all, Jacob works for Laban for more than 14 years to pay off his debt for his two wives to Uncle Laban. How would you like to have a crazy uncle like that? And last week we looked Jacob's trying to break free from Laban. He says, listen, I need to go and establish my own home now. I've got my kids, my wives, my concubines, which are his wife's servants, who he also has kids with. So he has four women now. Talk about complicating matters. And he said, listen, Laban, I need to leave. I need to get back home. And so he breaks free from Laban in the middle of the night because after he had done what he had honored Laban to do, he said, he's never going to let me go. So I've got to leave. And so in the dead of night, Genesis 31, you can read that later if you want to, he gets up, he takes his family, he takes everybody and he takes off. Laban pursues him only to be met with resistance from Jacob and the family. And Laban parts ways, having kissed his kids, his grandkids goodbye and goes back home. Where's Jacob on his way to now? He's on his way to visit his brother Esau. What did Esau vow that he was going to do the next time he sees Jacob? Kill him. This is now some 20 years later. And Jacob hasn't forgotten. And he's guessing that Esau hasn't forgotten either. And this is where we pick up his story. As Jacob started on his way again after parting ways with Laban... Angels of God came to meet him. Can you imagine that? Stop right there for a minute. When I was reading that earlier this week, I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Have you ever had an angel of God meet with you? 
And some of you may have, but if you haven't, uh, every instance where an angel of God stands in the presence of somebody else makes them scared out of their wits. Angels of the Lord came to meet Jacob after this experience of parting ways with Laban. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. And so he named the place Mahanaim. When Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir, and then he sent them on to the region of Seir in the land of Edom. So, all right, you may not know what the maps look like, but uh, Israel today, same place that it was, just different borders and stuff. But um, there's, there's the Gal- Sea of Galilee up north, which is where Jesus walked on water, Peter walked on water. It's where a lot of ministry was done, was done around Galilee. There's a river that runs from the Sea of Galilee up in the north, all the way down to what we call the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is still there today. Why is it the Dead Sea? It's because there's no outlet. All the minerals and all that make the, make the Dead Sea so, um, so salty that nothing could live in there. Maybe some microbial bacteria stuff, but there's no fish, there's no anything. You can actually float on top of it. If you, my body doesn't float. I've tried that, <laughs> swimming for whatever. Some people's bodies float, mine sinks. Yes, Uh, but you can actually float on that. I mean, it's like laying on a raft. It's so thick. And so this river from Galilee to the Dead Sea is called the River Jordan. You may be familiar with the River Jordan. Uh, It's where John baptized Jesus, somewhere along the way there. So where's Edom? Edom in that day and age, you won't see it on a, on a modern map, is just a little uh, east of the Dead Sea, maybe more southeast. Where, where did uh, Jacob go? He went out east from the area where Israel is now, away from his brother. His brother ended up leaving home, going and settling down in this region southeast of the Dead Sea, which means that Jacob would have gone even further to his uncle's house. So Jacob is now on his way back through. He knows his brother is in Edom, and he begins to send messengers ahead because he doesn't want to die. He would rather his servants die first, if that's the way it's going to be, just to kind of soften Esau a little bit. Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother Esau, who was living in the region of Seir in the land of Edom. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. He's buttering him up. Until now, I've been living with Uncle Laban, not with my Uncle Laban, because it's the same uncle as Esau's. Hey, I've been out, you know, spending time with Uncle Laban. And boy, is he crazy. But no, we'll get to that story later. And until now, uh, and, and now I own cattle, donkeys, flocks of sheep and goats, and many servants, both men and women. Basically, he's saying, hey, Esau, I've become rich. I've been living with Laban. I've gotten my act together. I've become very wealthy. Many servants, many donkeys, all of this stuff. It's not like saying I have a, I have a billion dollars. Wealth was measured in livestock and, and, and assets that you own, not in monetary stuff like gold coins. That wasn't really the thing back in those days. I've sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. Hey, you remember last time we met Esau? You, you're going to kill me. Uh, but... I hope you don't do that. I hope you'll be friendly to me. After delivering the message, the messengers returned to Jacob and reported, we met your brother Esau. 
And he's already on his way to meet you with 400, with an army of 400 men. Say again? He's doing what to who? Yeah, he's, um, he's coming to meet you. Yay! And he's bringing an army of 400 men. Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household. Hold, hold. I've been in Kentucky the past couple of days. I got to defrag the hard drive here. He divided his household along with the flocks and herds and camels into two groups. He thought, if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. <laughs> oh, this is good. He's saying, I'm going to send one group ahead. I'll hold the second group back, and they can come a little bit behind them. And if he t- attacks the first group of servants and camels and donkeys, we'll know he's not in a good mood. And the second group can escape. And we'll, you know, hey, we'll, have, we'll count our losses. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my grandfather Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, you've told me, return to your own land and to your relatives, and you promised me I will treat you kindly. I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness that you've shown me, your servant. When I left home and I crossed the Jordan River, I own nothing except a walking stick. Now my household fills two large camps. Oh, Lord, please rescue me from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid that he's coming to attack me along with my wives and my children. But you promised me I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Too many to count. What's Jacob doing? Jacob is reminding God of God's promises to he and his ancestors, through Abraham and Isaac, his grandfather and father. But he's also doing some bargaining. You ever bargained with God? Huh? God, if you just let me do this, then I will serve you. If you, if you, just, if you just save me from this thing or that thing or help me to get that job or if you could break this addiction, God, if you would just do this, then I will fill in the blank. God's patient. He's good. He's loving. And God plays our little games from time to time because he knows that we don't know everything there is to know. And so sometimes, actually most of the time, he'll meet us where we are in order to bring us to where he is knowing that we play these foolish games, like when Gideon threw a fleece out, right? We could talk about that story some other time. Jacob stayed there, stayed where he was for the night after he prayed. Then he selected these gifts from his possessions to present them to his brother Esau. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 female camels with their young, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. He divided these animals into herds and assigned each to different servants. Then he told his servants, go ahead of me with the animals, but keep some distance between the herds. It's almost like this caravan of different animals and servants coming. Can you imagine Esau being on the other end watching this? 
what in the heck is going on? Is this, this is a peace offering extraordinaire. This is a big deal. And he's sending them in waves. And like, it's almost as like, as far as the eye can see, you can see these herds and these servants coming and, oh, these are gifts for me. He's trying, he really does not want me to kill him. Right? He gave these instructions to the men leading the first group. When my brother Esau meets you, he will ask, whose servant, servants are you? And where are you going? Who owns these animals? You must reply, they belong to your servant Jacob, but they are a gift for his master Esau. Look, he's coming right behind us. Well, here comes another servant with another wave of animals. Jacob gave the same instructions to the second and third herdsmen and to all who followed behind the herds. You must say the same thing to Esau when you meet him and be sure to say, don't forget this, you need to tell him, look, your servant Jacob is right behind us. After a while, I mean, you've got all of these servants coming with all these different animals. Like, okay, where's Jacob, all right? Just, yeah, 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 camels, goats, yada, yada. Where's Jacob? Oh, he's coming. <laughs> I, oh, he, I, he's back there. I'm not kidding. He'll be here in a minute. Just keep looking. Jacob thought, I will try to appease him by sending gifts ahead of me. When I see him in person, perhaps he will be friendly to me. So the gifts were sent on ahead while Jacob himself spent the night in the camp. And here's where it gets interesting. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Javok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. What is the Jabbok River? Because I said we were at the Jordan. So in order to get to the land where he was going, he would have to cross the Jordan. But on his way to Edom, he had to cross a river called the Jabbok River, which is just a little tributary that connects. And so he crosses that river. He has his servants and everybody, his wives, kids, and everybody cross the river. He stays behind overnight, leaves him all alone there in a camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until dawn began to break. This is, this is interesting. When the man saw that he couldn't win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of socket. And the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Now, all right. This is a difficult passage to translate because in, in some of the older versions, versions, and actually in the Hebrew, it says it touched the hollow of his hip, the soft spot of the hip. Well, it's the inner thigh. Now, yes, it rendered him incapable of walking. Uh, when it says he touched, the word in Hebrew for touched actually can mean to strike. Gentlemen, what happens when you're struck in the groin? Okay, so some scholars believe that if we interpret it correctly, he gave him a swift kick to get free. But others believe that it was a rending of the, of the hip out of socket. The difficulty is you would be hard-pressed to walk away if your hip was completely out of socket. Now, you could, but more than likely, there was, there was a wrestling going on, and in order to get free from Jacob, he had to do something drastic. Jacob 
after the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. What's your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. What does Jacob mean? Deceiver, heel grabber, trickster. What did Jacob have to do to say his name? What's your name? I'm a deceiver. I'm a trickster. Your name will no longer be Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel. Now, we think of Israel as a nation, but Israel was a name of a man before it was the name of a nation. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and the guy tells him, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. And Jacob says, please tell me your name. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied, and then he blessed Jacob there. The first blessing he'd ever gotten without tricking somebody out of it. Jacob named the place Penuel, which means the face of God. For he said, I've seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Who was the man who wrestled with Jacob that night? None other than God himself. The preeminent Christ, if you will. An angel of the Lord. The sun was rising on Jacob as he left Penuel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Even today, and this is in the parentheses, I almost didn't add it, but I thought I would. Even today, the people of Israel don't eat the, the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. Here's the key point. Wrestling with God makes us stronger and leaves a visible mark on our lives. Now you can go to sleep now if you want to wrestling with God makes us stronger and it leaves a visible mark on our lives. So the question is, you may need to do a self-evaluation here. Am I wrestling with God? Am I fighting against God? Because if I'm wrestling with God, it's going to make me stronger, not weaker. I'm not going to give in to those baser instincts to do the things I know I shouldn't do, and I'm going to begin to do the things I know I should do. If I'm wrestling with God, I'm going to become stronger, not weaker. And if I'm wrestling with God, it's going to leave a visible mark on my life in a positive way so that others know that I've been in the presence of God. What do we know about Jacob through this story? First off, Jacob wrestled with God alone. We can't have somebody else wrestle with God for us. I I have so many people that come to me wanting me to take on their burdens, and, and I'm willing to. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. God has entrusted me to lead and guide and direct. And that's what I want to do. But I'm, I'm not called to wrestle God for you. I'm called to help you learn how to wrestle God to come out stronger than you were before. See, no pastor, no priest, no clergy can ever do for you what you are supposed to do for yourself. There's someday you are going to stand before Jesus as much as I will. And he's going to look at you as much as he'll look at me, and he's going to say, what, what, what did you do for me? I mean, I gave you everything. 
Everything conceivable that you necessarily needed for living life faithfully. He's going to say, Did you, I don't recall wrestling with you. Or he's going to say, man, that was a good wrestling match, wasn't it? Do you like how I let up on you over here? And how I kind of put the screws to you over here? <laughs> no, God's not sadistic. Just like a parent who loves his kids. He knows what you can take and what you can't. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not able to handle what I'm going through right now. If he knows what I can take and what I can't, why is it so hard? Because he knows that with him, you can be stronger than without him. And if you just let go and allow him to do through you what only he can, you can come out on the other side of this with a visible mark on your life, attesting to the fact that you've wrestled with God and won. But I see too many people giving up in the middle of the fight and letting God go. I feel like I'm alone in this. Have you ever said that? I feel like the world is against me, God. We were studying about John the Baptist this morning, and in Matthew chapter 11, after John had done so much stuff to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus in the wilderness, John finds himself in one of Herod's prisons. And he starts to question, Jesus, are you really the one? And so he sends a couple messengers to Jesus, and, 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 and he tells them to ask him this question. Are you really the one we've been waiting for? Are you the coming one? From the deep, dark cell of Herod's prison fortress. John is beginning to question God. I've, I've lived for you. I've done everything for you. I've sacrificed everything for you. And now I'm in prison, and I know in Herod's prison I'm not going to come out alive. I'm on death row. Are you coming to get me? You said you'd set the captives free. That's what the prophets of the Old Testament said. Are you not going to come and get me? And what did Jesus send back as a reply? Tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are healed, the dead raised from the grave. Never said anything about setting the prisoners free. When you wrestle with God, sometimes you find yourself in a place that's desperate. And Jesus may be saying, God may be saying to you through the power of his Holy Spirit, this is the end. But it wasn't in vain. Stay strong. We don't like that answer. We want what we want when we want it. We've been trained in our culture that's, that's the way it is. And it, quite frankly, in every other culture uh, that goes by the world's ways, that's, that's what you're told. You, you have to fight to get what you want. You have to put your boots on one, or your pants on one leg at a time. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You have to do that in order to survive. And yes, there's some merit to good work ethic, but there's also some tremendous merit to wrestling with God and allowing him to hold sway over us, even when the answer isn't what we want to hear. And you may 
you may feel like you're all alone, but when you're wrestling with God, you're with your creator. But nobody else can do that wrestling for you. Only you can wrestle with God. And you say, I don't want to wrestle. I'm too tired. I'm too weak. You don't think that God could end you just like that? Do you not think that God could have ended Jacob? He could have ended the fight, and he did. He wrenched his sock, uh, sock out of hip. I'm going to do one of these sermons again today. He's going to rent, he wrenched his hip out of socket so that he could break free. But do we think that in a given moment that God couldn't have taken him over? Just like the parent who lets their kids win from time to time. God lets us win these battles with him so that we come out stronger. But if we're always looking for a bailout or a handout, we'll never learn what it means to be strengthened. If we, you've heard the story of the cocoon and the butterfly, the butterfly wrestling to get out of the cocoon. If you, if you in your generous, compassionate mercy go over and try to open the cocoon up a little bit so that the butterfly can break free without having to struggle to get out, you've damaged that butterfly. You've basically killed that butterfly because the, the, the part of their being able to survive outside of the cocoon is wrestling to get free from it. And too many of you are wanting to be freed from a cocoon that you feel like you're in and you're wanting everybody else to bail you out when God's saying, I've given you the strength to push through this, push through. Doesn't mean that we can't lean on one another or pray for one another. Please understand and don't misinterpret what I'm saying this morning. But sometimes instead of asking for everybody to do for you what you need to do for yourself, you need to... Lean on God and wrestle and become stronger in the process. Jacob also had a name change. Some of you have reputations that precede you because of sin in your life or because of maybe good things in your life. Some of you, when people hear your names, they may go, oh, really? Ugh. Right? I'm not kidding. I mean, I want people, when they hear my name, to not go, oh, Brandon, ooh. But I know some people do. I know that I am not liked by everybody. I mean, there's, I've been here going on seven years, and there are people that have come through these doors and have left that I'm sure would not have a good thing to say about me. But I have to be okay with that. I've not always been perfect either. I've not always done things the right way. I've not always said the right things in the right circumstances to the people that have gotten so frustrated with me. And I have ownership in that. One of the things we notice about Jacob is whenever the guy asks what his name is, what does Jacob say? He has to take a good, hard, honest look at himself. And he says, I'm Jacob. The first time we see this in Jacob's story where he's asked what his name is and he has to fully admit everything that name stands for. In order to be healed from whatever it is you're wrestling with, you have to admit, <laughs> this just sounds like an AA program, you have to admit you have a problem. Am I right? I have to come to this place where I admit Brandon, the name Brandon, carries 43 years worth of experience and 43 years worth of, of, of different circumstances. 
Some are great, some not so great, depending on who you talk to. Brandon may mean bold with God or bold and manly, <laughs> or I don't know, I'd have to look it up again. We talked about the significance of names several weeks ago. But also Brandon, more than the name it stands for, also carries connotations. What does your name stand for? Not, not just the meaning of the name, but the meaning of the name given to you because of the reputation that you've led. And here's the, here's the cool thing. God is able to redeem your name, to redeem you, and to say, you know what? I'm not only a God of second and third and fourth chances. I'm a God who sees you, who knows every detail and facet of your life. And, and here's the thing, I still love you. It doesn't give you license to continue on sinning or doing the things that got you in the place you're in now or that gave you the name that you have or the reputation you have. But I want to set you free from that. I want to give you a new name. I want you to have a name that stands glorious and victorious because you've wrestled with me and you didn't give up. You pressed in and you pressed on. God may want to change your name, but he's not going to change your name until you're willing to press through. Better than the greatest Rocky victory in the Rocky movies way back when. Seems like the underdog is down for the last count. But he breaks through because he didn't quit, didn't give up. What's in a name? What's in your name? If there's anything that we can learn in this specific instance about the name change, it's that in order to move forward in God's truth and love, we have to come to grips with who we are and who we've become. We have to face ourselves head on, take a good hard long look at ourselves before we can ever get beyond our current situation and circumstance. Some of you are hiding so much stuff because you feel ashamed. You carry the weight and the burden of your name or your reputation with you. But you don't want anybody else to see it. Some people know about it, but you don't want anybody else to see it. God wants to change you, but he can't change you unless you come clean. I'm Jacob. I'm a trickster. I've lived my life in deceit. I'm not happy about it. Quite frankly, I'm ashamed about it. No, your name's not Jacob anymore. Your name is righteous, holy, vindicated, strong. Your name is wrestles with God and wins. The last thing we know about Jacob is that it left a visible mark on his life. As the sun rose that day after he'd received the blessing, and again, I think this is so significant. Everything that Jacob had done up to this point had been through trickery and deceit. And as he wrestles, he didn't ask, he didn't ask 
fix my past, but his past was fixed in the moment. You're no longer a trickster. You're Israel. But then he says, then, then, then the guy says, listen, I'm going to bless you. Not because you've deceived me or tricked me or manipulated me. I'm going to bless you. Have you ever wrestled with God to get a blessing? See, I, I think we give up too quickly. I think God more, is more than willing to bless us if we're willing to trust him. But I see too many people giving up because it's not happening on their timeline or in the way they want it to. And so they give up on the blessing that they could have had if they pressed in to him. You see this so many times in scripture. Again, go back to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Two situations. He says, Sarah is my sister. Why? Because he knows that Sarah could be taken as somebody else's wife, and if they know that Abraham is her husband, they're going to kill him and take her as their wife. But God had promised him back in Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Your descendants will be greater than the sands of the, of the seashore and more, more uh, glorious than the stars in the sky. Abraham, you will become a great nation, and all the other nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Uh, you. Those who bless you will be blessed, and those who curse you will be cursed, and all nations will be blessed because of you, Abraham. And he quickly forgets. No, he doesn't forget. He does what you and I often do. There's a promise that God's given us through the hope of salvation. And we think, oh, no, 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 I'm going to die. If, if, this, if I go into this situation, this is what's going to happen. But I know I need to go here. And if I go here, then, all right, I'm going to work things out to my best interest instead of trusting God to work them out. So I'm going to lie. A little white lie won't hurt anything. If, if, if I just do this, then I can save my butt. Or if, if, I just, if I just tweak it a little bit to work to my advantage, then I'll keep the blessing of God. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. God puts us sometimes in, or allows us to be put in situations to where our faith and our trust is tested. Do you ever do this with your kids? See, kids that become strong are the ones where the parents don't always bail them out. To where the kid's saying, I don't know how to, I don't know how to button my sweater. I'll show you one time, and then the rest is on you. But I can't! I can't tell you how many times where we've wrestled through some of the simple things of life. I can't do this, and I can't, and I can't. Just try it. Just try it. And I'm trying, and I'm trying. I can't do it! If all the problems of life were like buttoning a sweater. But inevitably, my, my seven-year-old, we're going through this right now, she's at this stage where she's old enough where she can start taking on responsibilities. I need you to clean your room, honey. I can't! No, 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 honey, seriously. I'll give you a pattern. Pick up your clothes first. If they're dirty, put them in the dirty clothes. If they're clean, put them in your drawer. Fold them up. 
I can. <laughs> and then pick up your toys, put them in the toy box. Pick up your shoes, put them in the shoe box. I can. <laughs> oh, that threw my back out. And I won't relent and give in to helping her. The, 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 my, my typical response is, I didn't make the mess. If you made it, you can clean it up. Now, all right, if we're relating this to God, God does clean up some of our messes from time to time. But here's the deal. God, God does, inevitably, I go to my, it's a lot, really quiet. I'm thinking, oh, no, she's gotten into something. I go back there, guess what? Her room's clean. Oh, so you can let me close with this. Jesus struggled side by side with us. He worked with us. He ate with us. He laughed and cried with us. And his sacrifice left the mark of all eternity on his, on his hands. Jesus was left with marks. As much as Jacob was left with the mark as he walked away from Penuel that day, Jesus, when he came, he was left with marks. And those marks remind us of the sacrifice he made for you and for, for me to give us freedom from sin and death. The marks around his head, uh, in his side, that Thomas got to feel and touch because Thomas, Thomas, Thomas doubted. Not only did Jesus retain the physical markings of sacrifice, but humanity was left with the mark of God in human flesh through Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. God is still alive and still well through the power of his Holy Spirit in the body of Christ in each individual who is called by his name through salvation in Jesus Christ alone. This was the greatest moment in human history. What marks the greatest moment in your life? Is it the place where you met God? How did that change you? As our worship team comes forward to close us out, I realize I've gone long today, but I wanted to let this sink into you today because I know there are some of you that are here that are wrestling with God, but I also know there are some of you here that are fighting against God. You're fighting against God, wanting to get things to happen your way when you should be wrestling with God to allow things to happen in you and through you the way that he wants them to be. So do a self-assessment today. Keep in mind that God's love always has a way of leaving a mark on our lives. It changes our perspectives, our temperaments, our tolerance. Have you wrestled with God? Have you allowed him to change your name, your reputation? What does that say about you? What precedes you? Has wrestling with God forced you to take a good, hard, long look at yourself? Let's close in prayer. Father, your love always leaves a mark whether it's on Jesus' body through the nail-pierced hands and the sphere in the side or a crown of thorns and the scars on his forehead, love always leaves a mark. I, I pray that in this place today that people that are fighting against you would learn to wrestle with you that, God, they would seek blessings that only come from you, not through men or women in this world. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would empower us to fight through, to press in, to press on, 
and that God, we can walk away from our circumstance, yes, with a limp, but a limp that reminds us that we've met with God and we've won. Forgive us of our sins, Father. Cleanse us, heal us. Help us to start this day afresh and anew with a new name and a blessing from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Main, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.